0: 24 hours a day seven days a week now words from your you'll be hey guys and welcome to RX radio a podcast about everything pharmacy on this episode we find out what pharmacy is like over in the UK Alright, so let's get started. Welcome to the show, Aditya. Uh, we are really excited to have you on here. I think that uh, the listeners the listeners, are going to get some really great value about hearing what uh, pharmacy is like in the UK. So, uh, if you can just start by telling us a little bit about yourself.
1: Hi, Regina. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be here today. Uh, so, my name is Aditya and I'm almost qualified pharmacist. I'm just in the intermediary stage, just waiting to be registered. Cool. And, I completed a uh, training year in uh, community pharmacy, also known as, in America, more commonly known as retail pharmacy. Yep. And I'm going to be working in September in uh, policy and strategy, part of the NHS, so our National Health Service, uh, in their graduate scheme.
0: Oh, that's awesome. How does it work in terms of, how long does it take you to be
1: fully licensed and and ready to practice? Sure. So, uh, it takes us... five years from start to finish provided there's no hitches along the way mm-hmm. so they have four years of university study so uh, and then you'll are then you need to do one year like a professional placement year and then at the end of that placement year you sit an exam so say I started my education in September 2012 in at the University of East Anglia in, in Norwich and then I studied there for four years. I so graduated July 2016 and then started my placement year literally straight after. And then did that until you know, until I finished because I had to do one whole year. But I sat my professional exam at the end of June and got the result uh, at the end of July. Thankfully, that was all good. And now I'm just waiting to be on the register. So, yeah, that's, it's a five-year process uh, provided everything goes from start to finish with no hitches.
0: Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Ours is a
1: little, uh, ours is a little bit
0: fairly similar. I would say, I mean, we have, uh, there's a minimum of a two year requisite prerequisites that we do. So, uh, there's like classes you got to take like organic chemistry, physics, um, biology, things like that. And you can actually apply right, right after you do those two years of, of prerequisites. And then, uh, you go to the farm, you go to pharmacy school for, uh, for then four years. Um, uh, and we have residencies also where, where you can like specialize after, um, you know, if you want to go like into either transplant pharmacy or ER pharmacy, critical care. Do you guys have residencies like that over there in the UK?
1: Not at that stage. Not at that stage. I mean, so the residency that we have here, it's so but. So, um, so, just a question: Does re- mm-hmm. do you have to do residencies to qualify as a pharmacist, or is that something after you've qualified? No,
0: it's it's after you've qualified. So we can go straight into retail f- or, or community pharmacy right after we, yeah. uh, right after we graduate, and uh, yeah. right after we graduate, we take our boards um, like for law per state and per, um, and then like the national pharmacy boards, and then we get and then we can we're already considered a pharmacist where we can practice. The okay. residency is just extra training uh, if we want to you know, continue to practice in a different setting or, or in a specialized setting?
1: Yeah. So, okay. So we do have some, something similar. It's not, uh, in that stage, but so what we have is you do your, say five years, um, actually. And, and one thing to note is we don't have the prerequisite, as you say, mm-hmm. the thing we have, so our education system is after the ages from the ages of 14 to 16, you do, you say there's first level of go- the GCSE, which is the government set exam a government level exam. Yeah. And then when you're 16 and 17, you do something called A-levels. And that is your, you can say it's like your prerequisite because that is what you do to get into university to study pharmacy. Um, but then, so you don't do your five years, but then the, the residencies, you can, they're more commonly done from people st- in um, hospital mm. or general practice pharmacists. I know that's an area we're going to touch on later. And, <laughs> uh, and especially if, In community pharmacy, there are also people who choose to specialize further. So, yes, and we have various programs like in uh, Guy's St. Thomas, which is a hospital in central London. Mm -hmm. That particular trust of hospitals, I think there's a few hospitals in that trust, if you like. I can't can't remember the names off off the top of my head. They have a program called STEP, which is designed to get... uh, you know, pharmacists. Who, it's usually people who have newly qualified, and uh, they apply to get onto this program. It's like a, it's like an intensive program over, I think, a th- couple uh, a few years, and that is treated like a residency because they're given much more uh, specialist training across different rotations, so they can choose where they want to go later on. And I think there is an element of um, we have something called a clinical diploma, mm-hmm. and that diploma is used to enhance. Your clinical understanding and your clinical, because at the end of the day, in your training year and all that, you can only do so much clinical work. Yeah. Uh, and then the idea is this clinical diploma will, what's the word, will grow, will will further, will will further your education and expertise. And I suppose with that, you can take that and specialize further. Yeah. So, um, but I'm guessing to specialize, the clinical diploma it would be a prerequisite. And then you'd need to do, uh, and there are many hospitals which do fund that clinical diploma there. Okay, uh, great. although that is a decreasing pool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Of, it's, it's cost money. It definitely <laughs> sounds like it's, it's very similar to what it's
0: like over here in terms of what the residency is like, because you do get a stipend, uh, to become a residency at a hospital because not only you, you're training, but you're also, you're working also as a pharmacist. So. Um, so eventually yeah. I guess you know people do need to get paid at some point um, <laughs> it all comes down to money in the it, end it always does it always does what about prescribing physician I mean sorry prescribing pharmacist are they uh, are they the same or are, is can you be a can you be a prescribing pharmacist uh, within a GP practice like how, how does that play into how does that play into the whole thing so
1: prescribing pharmacist is basically uh, this is just for for clarity's sake, is a pharmacist who has gone through the course um, to, uh, and is now able to prescribe. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and you got various levels, I think, and because the prescribing is based on your level of competence. Okay. So, you know, so for example, if I special, if for example, I had specialised in uh, uh, diabetes and the pharma- and I was and I see a condition about asthma. Then I, you know, if it's someone about specialist asthma, then that's not really my competence. So I wouldn't be able to help in that. Oh, gotcha. I should, I should refer them to the appropriate uh, practitioner.
0: Gotcha. So when you become a prescribing pharmacist, it's it's with it's within a certain uh, area. Um, it's within your yeah, competence. It's within, your, compet- it's within gotcha. your competence. Okay, cool. It's,
1: it's, 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 so you can't just start prescribing uh, anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so I mean, I suppose there is some level of general practice, right? Yeah. Is you can you know, generally pharmacists when it comes to her OTC or minor ailment conditions, I mean, you think of it this way. If you've got a pharmacist who can prescribe and you've got a patient who's come in saying I've got, you know, X, Y, and Z and you know that the OTC treatment isn't uh, the best thing, but say something over the, something like a POM medicine or a prescription only medicine is Mm -hmm. the thing. And the idea is that, you know, Uh, the pharmacist can make that informed decision and be able to, within their own competence, understand where to level up to prescribe to. So in GP practice, that the idea is, I think pharmacists in GP practice would be, uh, is is taking very well because that is a setting where prescribing is primarily done. So if you've got a pharmacist there, then ideally they'd be able to prescribe what's needed if you like so mm-hmm. and usually the, pres- the prescribing would be uh if someone say has uh, let's go back to an example say has asthma mm-hmm. and they're within a certain so that means a doctor will have laid out a, in their initial diagnosis will have laid out an initial pathway an initial uh, management framework
0: gotcha.
1: uh, and so the pharmacist will be prescribing within that framework if they, something needed a changing more beyond that, they need to be referred back to the doctor. Gotcha. So there are like, you know, uh, what's the word is there are safeguards along the way, I'd think. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, you got level, if you're a consultant pharmacist, so, you know, a really high level pharmacist within a hospital or a very specialty center. So if, just saying, for example, a HIV pharmacist who's mm-hmm. gone through the prescribing course, you know, who's at that top level of pharmacist. Yeah. Then by, you know, then, that level of, prescri- you know, in this, at least I've heard, you know, consultant pharmacists walk around on the ward with the consultant doctors, you know, gotcha, and they're doing the jobs to- and they're doing a the job together sort of thing because of that. So, you know, prescribing pharmacists can prescribe, you know, the doctor said, all right, this is the diagnosis. This is what I think might be the best. What do you think? Oh, I think this, all right, I'll write it up. Sort of. Yeah. And I, and I so, think that
0: you and I are probably in, in agreement with this, that, I think the future of pharmacy, especially with the amount of information that's, you know, that's available at our fingertips and the amount of things that, uh, that, uh, physicians have to deal with that. I think it's going to move towards the physician is going to be the ultimate, you know, uh, had the ultimate role in diagnosing and figuring out what is going on with a patient. And then it's then going to move on to the, uh, pharmacist hands to determine, okay, what's going to be the best medication and best treatment uh, for this individual person.
1: Definitely. I think, uh, at the end of the day the doctor is at the you know the doctor is the one who's the the exec is the executive in mm-hmm. the whole chain so yeah i think there you know there is a lot of talk we have on twitter is that you know doctors diagnose pharmacists mm-hmm. um what's the word Cho- choose the medicine yes but now but then the lines blur if you've got a prescribing pharmacist yeah yeah because <laughs> you know a certain level of pharmacists can, uh, can diagnose, diagnose to a yeah, point Yeah.
0: Um, one thing you said, uh, I'm not sure if anyone else picked up on this, but you said uh, you abbreviated uh, P- uh P-O-M, POM for prescription only medication. That's awesome, and I'm going to try to implement that here in the states because here we only have the uh, abbreviation for over the counter medications OTC, but P O M or POM sounds awesome for prescription only meds. I have to tell people all the time, no, it's only with a prescription. It's so long, so if I can just start, <laughs> if I can just start saying POM. Then that's going to be great. It's going to save me some time.
1: Uh, <laughs> get the uh, get the FDA to change to write that on the boxes because anything that's a prescription only mentioned has uh, medicine. Yeah. In this country, has the word "pom" on it in oh, a box okay. in a very in like a teeny box. Well, but it's got the word "pom" on it. Ours say "RX only." It'll say
0: "RX only" okay. on the box, indicating yeah. that. But that's still like if I go to tell a patient that you know "RX only," I don't think they're going to know really what that <laughs> means. You know, but anyway. So let's uh, let's talk about technicians. This is another interesting thing I think about the UK that is very different from uh, from here in the states. You guys have something called, or you guys are trying. I'm not sure if you to implemented accuracy technicians, right?
1: Yeah. So so we've had them for a, for a while now. That's foreign to us. That is <laughs> extremely foreign to us. Please please do tell. Okay. So <laughs> so we've had them for a while now. So what an accuracy technician is is a pharmacy technician who is uh, registered with the regulator, so in our case, the General Pharmaceutical Council, mm-hmm. and they are qualified to let's say, I'll use your word, is it to verify mm-hmm. whether what is on the label is what the, do- the doctor written on the prescription and to verify that the item that has been picked is the one that is on the prescription. So it's like they're just doing the final uh, operational check that yeah. the right medicine has been taken out the right directions are on the medicine there are you know the right number of capsules or tablets or whatever you are you know it's basically the the medicine supplied is in accordance to what's written on the prescription yeah so that is their primary uh, what i believe is their primary role although the role of a pharmacy technician or app because that's actually a, pr- a protected title in the uk they're doing more but yeah that's the role of an accuracy pharmacy technician
0: wow that's that's crazy i mean people i think would lose their minds over here if if they found out that uh technicians were going to be moving you know towards the uh verifying uh prescriptions but i i think that it's going to be a movement um that we're going to have to embrace here because I, i think we we need to get pharmacists more into the you know the clinical role and the clinical check especially in the community setting um and you know especially with the advent of what's possibly going to be amazon's pharmacy coming um (laughs) you know i I think that we're going to have to one day adopt that and move towards that way too because if you think about it like look at new york new york has has uh mandated that all prescriptions uh be sent electronically which means not only you don't need special training to match letters you know i i mean yes you you want to make sure that You have some sort of training but you don't need you know higher level four years of training to just match letters and that's basically what verifying you know prescriptions is it's just matching letters which eventually i think a robot or a computer will be doing that but i think in the meantime it'll probably make sense to have a uh to have a technician doing it and let let free up the time for the pharmacist to worry more about um you know helping patients with uh providing better care
1: oh definitely and um it's uh, yeah, you're right, and I think it's interesting you said that about New York that they want to all prescriptions go paperless. Because there's also a drive in the UK by politicians to get the NHS paperless by 2020. Wow. And part of the one way they're doing it is we're getting we have a huge push for electronic prescriptions. Uh, how can I? How big can I say national nationwide? Mm-hmm. And I think over 50% of all the prescriptions in the NHS are now paperless, are electronic. Wow. They're not actually paper copies anymore. Yeah. So, so uh-huh. go ahead. No, sorry. I like, I like, it's interesting, interesting you're telling me about New York, and you're right. I think te- there is a level of technology which we can I can see coming in, and I think will be very, very uh, useful in Amazon's pharmacy. Is the point of verification is if you've got a computer printing the label, then you've got a computer that's um, verifying it. Then you know, I'm I think the evidence behind it is a computer's verification is more accurate than a human verifying a prescription.
0: Yeah, Yeah, 100%. I mean, can you imagine the amount of prescriptions a computer is going to be able to check versus a pharmacist? Mm. Like, it's going to be ridiculous.
1: Uh, Definitely. I mean, although you still need to double check how much is in the box or the box is still the thing and all this, that, the other. But the actual data verification can definitely be done by a, a robot.
0: Yeah. All right. so now that you know, we, we did talk about accuracy technicians and verifying the prescription. What is, what is it going to be? Can you t- describe the process of when a patient gets a prescription and takes it to the pharmacy? What's that experience like?
1: That's it. They get the prescription. So a patient, uh, so how it was in my placement uh, was, say, for an acute a patient, could see the doctor. Doctor mm-hmm. would say, and, you know, they finished it. Prescription is written up. And they'd say, where do you want your prescription sent? Mm-hmm. and they'd say pharmacy say xyz that they would the doctor would electronically send the prescription to that pharmacy mm-hmm. all the patient needs to do is walk across just to say hi uh doctor sent a prescription across mm-hmm. and at which point uh, i'll be like okay sure what's your name please look them up do you know confirm all the data confirm you know they are the patient and this that the other and then continue to make things up and just go along like that so from a patient perspective, when it works, it works great. Mm-hmm. There have been hitches known that it can take longer than 20 minutes to half an hour mm-hmm. for a prescription to come across. But when it works, I think, especially for repeat dispensing, it's it's so much easier because you don't have to go down to the surgery, you know, pick up the prescription physically, then bring it back. Now all we need to do is just uh, I can send requests electronically as well. Mm-hmm. I'll go click, click, click. Send the request electronically, and then I'd get the um, uh, electronic prescription back. Mm-hmm. Say so, uh, all things going well within forty-eight hours.
0: Gotcha. So
1: from a patient experience, it's great because they don't need to physically go to the doctor to put the repeat in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can either do it electronically now, or they can ring the pharmacy up. Doctors don't take requests over the phone, so they'll tell the ring. They'll, so all patients need to ring their pharmacy mm. to request it although there are some changes in models across the country. I think some are stopping pharmacies from doing repeat meds, repeats, mm. like, or, uh, putting in the repeat requests. But the general idea is that, yeah, the patient's ring us, we put the repeat request in, goes off to the doctor, all electronically. And then the doctor creates an electronic prescription, sends it back. And if the patient's getting the, pa- the prescription delivered, then we'll just do the delivery service, either, you know, either that day or the next day. Gotcha. So from a patient perspective, it's a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. So
0: when they do take that
1: prescription in and the prescription is ready, how do they pay for it? How much does it cost for them? Okay, so assuming the patient pays for the prescription, um, it's £8.60 currently per item per okay. pres- on a prescription. So is this, how can I pre- So, say you got um an, a prescription and it's got clarithromycin, it's got okay. Maybe that's not the right one. and a provider Say it's got um, amlodipine Uh, say it's got omeprazole, and say it's got paracetamol. Okay. Okay. That would be, and they pay for their prescription. That would be three lots of charges, no matter how much quantity there is for each of them. Okay. If but if, for example, they have you know, wolf. Uh, I think it's wolf. Oh, this is a bad one. We want to edit this scene, but say, okay, they, okay. but yeah, say, <laughs> uh, say they got, um, yeah, so it's eight pound 60 per item. Okay. And,
0: uh, I just converted that. That's 11, that's $11 and six cents in the U S dollars. So, yeah. so that's how much you have to pay per prescription, uh, no matter, yeah. no matter what it is. So it could be like soup, something super expensive, like over here that what comes to mind is like Pradaxa, um, or Januvia, let's say, <laughs> no matter what that cost is to that pharmacy, it's going to be to that patient. It's going to be $11 and six cents.
1: Correct. And gotcha. so how the, how the money side of it works is the NHS has a, what they call a drug tariff and they, um, and they re they reimbursed that drug tariff cost to the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into the technicality because there's a lot of uh, controversy regarding that. Gotcha. Okay. But, <laughs> but they reimbursed that cost to the pharmacy and, uh, and I think they paid a the pharmacy a dispensing charge. I think that's all changed, recently just changed. And so, uh, and then, yeah, you're right. And then that 11 pounds, I think six pence dollars, mm-hmm. uh, that that goes to the NHS. So the NHS is, in this case, subsidizing for the cost to the patient. Gotcha, gotcha. And um, but if you've got something cheap, like... Amoxicillin, yeah. Which, then, yes, the the patient will still pay that eleven pound, that you know, that eight pound sixty, irrespective of the price. So, yeah, it's 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 the the pricing is done to try and balance out the low to high. So, yeah, that's why. So, it's yeah, you either pay. So, that's where that charge is introduced. Okay, and um, are
0: there just trying to touch a little bit more on like the money side of things? Are there any ways that you know, um, that farm, that pharmacies are trying to recover or, or I guess provide services to make other types of money. Um, you know, with the exception of, you know, soap and, you know, little things like that, that you can get, you know, inside the pharmacy that you can buy as a, as a product. But are there any other services that pharmacists or, or pharmacies over there are starting to provide, uh, to try to bring in like extra income to the pharmacy?
1: Sure. So, there are some things I've seen. So, stuff I'm going to talk about is stuff I've seen or heard, um, mm. which would be I know that a actually no, it's a pharmacy in Central London. Uh, what's that called? Uh, John Bell and Croydon. It's okay. the Queen's Pharmacy.
0: <laughs> it's oh, cool.
1: a, if anyone is listening to this and is happened to be in London, I'll check this pharmacy out. It is an absolutely like the Queen amazing their- pharmacy. They- it's huge. It's it's like yeah, I couldn't believe what's in it. Like it's absolutely <laughs> amazing. To have everything. Really, it's that big, and they got private consulting rooms. Oh, so that is a way of of doing it. Is that if you got the space, don't have one consulting room, have two or three, and run private services within there. You know, make it a pharmacy a one-stop shop. Yeah, yeah. for additional healthcare services. You're mm-hmm. not offering. You know, we're not saying you should be offering only. You know, one thing as a pharmacy, you offer. We offer. you know a service a healthcare service which aligns with other services Mm -hmm. so an idea would be to have like I've heard of a pharmacy that has you know a a private doctor would come in they say once a week or something in a private consulting room and patients if they want to see a private doctor they can see it and in that particular area it works very well Mm -hmm. that John Bell and Croydon they do (laughs) a lot of other private services so they have you know a, a, a makeup, They have a makeup one in one of them, you know, beauticians in it, one or two, they have private, they have a dentist, they have, I think they have oh, opticians, wow. you know, they often all these sorts of, you know, allied pref- uh, services. Yeah, yeah So that is one way of doing it. The other way is things like travel clinics. So, you know, if you, that's an expensive course, which, uh, but the returns on it from what I understand can be quite significant. Mm hmm. Uh, and what I mean by travel services, you know, malaria, tablets, or vaccinations, okay. those sorts of things. So, pharmacies, pharmacists are increasingly doing courses that, like this. And that is, and, you know, people don't want to have to travel into London or travel, you know, far to get it. Whereas, why should they when, say, a pharmacy in this area will do it, which is only yeah, two towns away, sort of thing? It's a much more convenient way of going about it.
0: So other than, uh-huh. Sorry. No, I was gonna say well, uh, about vaccines. It's it's interesting because we uh there's been a huge push in the last couple of years here in the States where pretty much almost every single retail community pharmacy will provide you almost any recommended vaccine uh, that you need as an adult, um, including oh, wow. some travel vaccines. Uh there's a and couple they administer it. Yeah, and we administer it, yeah. And um we're uh it, it recently a couple of years ago, I think it, it started with uh only pharmacists who were administering it. Um, at the you know at the pharmacy level, they recently started letting uh, uh, community sorry they recently started letting pharmacy students like pharmacists interns uh, administer it also, okay. and then there's one state I forgot the name of the state it's like some northern state I think it's like Dakota or something I don't know they are actually allowing technicians to now provide vaccinations you know under the oversight of a pharmacist
1: so okay, that's so a big that- push here is a very controversial that last that last two are very controversial uh and unfortunately i can't comment on anything on that but they're very controversial within the pharmacy world here oh yeah yeah it's crazy i mean yeah (laughs) i won't go into it but yeah it's a it's interesting that some there is a state that is has that has moved towards
0: that model yeah and it's it's crazy but i mean it's one of the reasons i was asking about um you know what other things that pharmacies uh, you know over there are doing to try to recoup some of that money but it's very a vaccine is very profitable and it's uh obviously you know we push it because it's obviously safe and 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 it protects the community from um from viruses and other types of diseases but it's also very profitable uh you know Thing to provide, so that it's being pushed by a lot of different, a lot of different, pretty much every single retail community pharmacy you can walk into and get a vaccine if if it's in stock within fifteen minutes.
1: Oh wow, okay. So yeah. the only the big thing that we they pharmacies have started doing here is flu vaccines. Oh, okay. So they did start. Nice. Yeah. uh So I think. I know, but I think they. Ch- you can even get it free on the NHS if you. If you're within a certain criteria, mm-hmm. so if you so the NHS say <clears throat> it's cheaper to provide the vaccine for us to provide the vaccine to a patient than them getting ill because it'll affect the complications of further chronic uh, things, uh, chronic, chronic conditions they have, and it'll mm-hmm. make things it'll exacerbate the condition and make things worse. So it costs more. So okay. it's cheaper for us to administer the vaccine and say possibly preventing that happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although there is a small charge, I think it's charged anything between I've seen eight pounds to 12 pounds or something per administer per vax per flu vaccine gotcha. being admit- admitted in a pharmacy gotcha yeah it's it's i mean
0: ev- everyone is being forced to you know adapt and and try to survive and and i'm sure there's cost issues with you know pricing of drugs and things like that that the uk has to deal with but over here in the states we're we're definitely dealing with problems with uh low reimbursement uh, from uh, insurance companies and also Uh, You know, PBMs and and all kinds of things in terms of uh, pharmacies losing money on the cost of medications. So um,
1: it's it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I can't comment again on too much from uh, you on the UK on that point because Mm -hmm. it's uh, my employer. Yeah, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My new employer. So, uh, but yeah, I think what's happening is the general fiscal environment of in both the US and in the UK as well is making you know in the UK especially the economy as a whole is fiscally tight yeah so that's co- that is presenting uh, problems as a whole for mm. and pharmacy is one of those sectors that is mm. having issues with money. So what do you think
0: um, what do you think the future of the pharmacy uh, the future of pharmacy in the UK will be like in the coming years? Two words
1: digital and genomic. Awesome, um, digital because we're having health technology, you know, doing amazing things. We're doing you know, offering amazing services. So we have an, a branch of uh, the NHS called NHS Digital, mm-hmm. and they have they're creating and curating a library and working with you know tech entrepreneurs to integrate those amazing ideas because a lot of these amazing ideas come from people who, you know, have a sp- particular expertise in that area mm-hmm. and the NHS doesn't necessarily have that expertise. So these, entrep- you know, these amazing entrepreneurs are creating these new ideas and apps and then the NHS is looking at ways to integrate them into the system and the ecosystem. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, a patient will want it. Was, so, you know, it helps improve outcomes. That's the, that's the next thing they are looking at is how can these apps improve outcomes, right? Let's do a study because, you know the NHS is a publicly funded body therefore it's got to be able to defend it and the only way you can defend something is if you have the evidence behind it got so yeah so there's that the other thing is the drive to be genomic so from what i understand is by the NHS wants to try and introduce public genomic testing i think by at least by within 2020 at, at, and i think that's the latest I think it's the next couple of years they want to introduce it mm-hmm. And the idea behind it is that it can help, you know, you can cure, not even, not manage, but you can cure rare diseases. You can cure a lot of other uh, illnesses because you can identify it down to the gene level where the, identify where the issue is, Yeah. repair the issue or solve that issue. And therefore, the the resulting condition won't present because it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So, and that is the genomic drive. And you know, you'll and you, you actually had a conversation with someone very recent uh, last week. I think it was, and he, I remember the gentleman saying, you know, he reckons you could see 3D printing, but you know, within the next 50 years, where patients take you know they got a printer sitting at home and it prints them their medicine yeah a personalized medicine directly for the patient and that's a combination of genomic and digital yeah that's just
0: that's that's so far in terms of like it's like hey we're gonna cut on amazon like what
1: (laughs) you're gonna cut on amazon Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Amazon will have nothing to deliver. Yeah, exactly. Because everyone's printing it themselves. <laughs> yeah. Anything Amazon will be delivering then will be all the raw materials you need. It's So, crazy. so.
0: <laughs> it's it's true though. It's gonna happen for sure. Like, I mean, they already there was already some report of some drug already. They already made a drug with pre three D printing, and so it's only a matter of time, really, where that becomes mainstream, and you can just hit a button, or you get the you know you get the formulation from your pharmacist, uh, and then you know it gets sent to your printer, and then you got your medication. Oh, yeah,
1: definitely. Or you know, or you know, the farms or, you know, or your doctor or your pharmacist gives you a token, which has the um, ingredient—not an ingredient, but it has the like the recipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so you go back, you put the recipe in, and yeah. it makes it for you. You know, something. You know, a level of con- you have obviously level of control, which will get worked out at that point. But yeah, yeah, I think that's a—it's a mind-boggling idea, isn't it? In the yeah, future, it really is. <laughs> yeah. So also, uh, go ahead no. now. Finish up. Also, another thing I can see is that digital tech being able to diagnose uh you you know if you look at someone's genetic blueprint you can say okay they're predisposed to i don't know for example hypertension and this that the other yeah but you you're going to try first of all convincing a patient who's got hypertension who's just been diagnosed with hypertension to take a medicine is hard enough because then if you've got hypertension you've just been diagnosed you don't feel the effects you just got it from a routine check normally
0: yes exactly so you're not going to take
1: him but then, if you, if you got um, uh, a tool which can uh, help, you know, in that diagnosis, so that you know they look at, you know, the the outcome probability, what have they got, and this that and the other, and then your uh, tool of diagnosis, that is another area where I think we could be seeing in the next couple of years. And you can c- use, you know, your AI to do that to yeah. crunch all that data. Yeah. Well,
0: wow. yeah, that's. Uh, the future is going to be crazy. That's all I can say. <laughs> the <laughs> but future I'm is bright. The future is bright. I'm excited about it. I mean, and we're all good, just going to be, you know, forced to adapt and, you know, and, and and make sure that we have the skills and we're up to date on all the technologies to be able to utilize it because our, our job is, I don't see it ever really going away for real. It's just going to adapt into a different form and uh pharmacies oh, def- just have to be okay with that. Definitely.
1: Oh, definitely. Uh, the era of pharmacy status quo, I think is, um, about to be uh, the wall is about to be broken yeah as if amazon can there are doubts i'm having i have had a odd doubt of amazon trying to break into the uk pharmacy market especially mm-hmm. um i know in the us in the us is i think it's a bit more different because the, dem- the the patient demands are slightly more different i mm-hmm. think i can see them doing that in the uk i think it'd be a little bit more different but yeah the future is very bright and it'll be interesting to see how things develop yeah so, uh,
0: some of the, some of the listeners that we have are, you know, listeners that are uh, either in pharmacy school thinking about pharmacy or just starting off their pharmacy career. Um, mm-hmm. and I wanted, uh, I wanted to see what, what, what's your best advice that you leave with a healthcare professional?
1: Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, okay. I want to say something. This is more something that I learned in my fourth year. So my mm-hmm. final year of university is, uh, and embrace, embrace creativity, embrace your creative side. Um, if you're anything like, you know, like me up to, when you go to pharmacy school, are you, um, your talk is science, is you taught very science ideas. So you're taught, you must think in a very rigid set of ways. Mm-hmm. You must think of these laws, must think, and your creative side is usually drilled away. Yeah. It's picked away cause you don't, cause you don't embrace You never really embraced it at that point Yeah, because you've always thought this way to get new ideas. You got to be a dreamer. You have got to be creative. The benefit of you studying pharmacy is that you've got the scientific aptitude, you know, to to take an, the dream to to make it into a real idea. The, the hard part is to have that creativity and have that dream.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is, I would say, develop that creativity. Whatever you you know, whatever you takes to do, start small, work your way big, and you'll find you'll come out with your you know all these entrepreneurs we're seeing right now, we're only seeing their, probably their thousandth, you know, idea that's caught through. We're not yeah. seeing the other bits before. Yeah. And that's, you know, so and don't be afraid to put in the hard work beforehand to get to where you are because the gains always do. You know, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg is going to look back and say, oh, when I was 20, I made that idea at flop. No, he's probably, you know, he's, at home, I'm pretty sure he can sleep all right. You yeah, he's gonna <laughs> so, be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Embrace, embrace that creativity and use your 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 mindset that you've developed for helping patients to develop new ideas to and new solutions to more complex problems.
0: Yeah, yeah. Interesting, and that's that's great advice. And I really hope that you know. <laughs> People down here uh, or over here, sorry, in the states, will, will really do that and, and really embrace their uh, their creative side. And what's uh, what's the best way? Uh, if anyone wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way they can find you?
1: You can you can meet me on you can um, tweet me. Twitter is an amazing place. Twitter is where I met Richard. Uh, <laughs> yes, I love him so, now. <laughs> uh, Twitter. There is a there is a pharmacy community out there. There is a medicine community. There are so many communities. I think Twitter is probably I use Twitter more than any other social media. Uh, awesome. So if you want to reach me on Twitter, I'm A-D-K Agarwal, A-G-G-A-R-W-A-L. Uh, you can, and just tweet me uh, and I'm happy to take any questions anyone might have.
0: Awesome. I'll definitely link that up in uh, in the podcast site. Ditka, thank you so much for taking this talk with me. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much, Richard. Thank you very much for the opportunity and it's a pleasure. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. I really hope you guys enjoyed that interview. I hope it was as insightful to you as it was to me. I had a blast learning about what it was like to be a pharmacist in the UK. Please leave me a comment on Instagram or on iTunes. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Any feedback is going to be greatly appreciated and don't forget to subscribe. And until next time, see you over the counter.